in October of 1998, I know that seems like eons for some of you, the Lord got a hold of my life. And He pretty much let me know, you've been living like a fool, what are you doing? And I said, yes, Lord, I have. Because all I've cared about is me. He got me involved in the church. I will never forget taking my beer money and going to the Christian bookstore and saying, I need a Bible I can understand. Because I knew the problems, you know. I didn't know much, but I knew that there was problems reading the Bible. So I need a Bible I can understand. I said, here you go. 20 bucks. And within two weeks, the entire New Testament was just dripping yellow from Sharpies. Even at that time, I loved Sharpies. I don't know what it is. But I started to really get intrigued by prophecy. I started attending a Calvary Chapel church. I didn't know anything was going on whatsoever, but they started talking about the end times. You can know this. God's already told us what's going to happen. If you haven't noticed, it's all coming true just like God said. And it's all panning out to set the stage for the coming of the Antichrist, the one world government, one world monetary system, one world religion. It's all in place. It's all happening, which tells me that the rapture is near. Praise God. Let's get out of here, right? I'm excited for it. But then I started having conversations with people about this word, the gospel. And as we started to unfold it, I recognized that what they were saying the gospel was not what I understood as the gospel. And so either they were wrong, which they've been going to church a lot longer than me, their Bibles were much more marked up than mine, they knew a whole lot more than me, so they must be right. Or, I'm not really saved. And that was terrifying for me. And it was interesting that my intrigue for prophecy had to be set on the back burner, and it started me on a pursuit of being adamant about what is the Gospel. Now I want to say this publicly because I think it's important. This poor woman has dealt with me through that entire struggle. She has patience of steel, and she is completely filled with the Holy Spirit, and it blows my mind how much she could love me. I'm such a fool that I continued to be over things. But God has brought me to this solid conviction about the Gospel. And what I found as I went through it is, oh my gosh, this isn't any different than what the Bible was saying the entire time. I'm blown away by how many people have gotten the Gospel wrong. Now, as time has progressed, this problem has only gotten worse. Let me give you some examples of what this is. In a 2022 survey conducted by the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University, they found that at least a third of senior pastors in the United States believe that one can earn a place in heaven by simply being a good person. Read it again. Which tells us everything we need to know, right? <clears throat> but think about it. If you took the country and you segmented off a third of the country, as far as senior pastors who are preaching every Sunday from the pulpit, they are convinced all you got to do is be a good enough person and you're in. We have a problem with grace. Here are some interesting phrases that you may have heard before. If you're really saved, you'll hate the things you once loved and love the things you once hated. If you haven't forsaken all of your sin, you were never really saved to begin with. You had head belief, not heart belief. <clears throat> In fact, there's a chick track. Everybody remember chick tracks? Yeah. It's always crazy. These businessmen in suits and like, here comes the apocalypse. And they're like, their hair's on fire and it's like 666 is on their forehead. They're like, no! Scary stuff. 
I found that chick track actually in the parking lot of a private Catholic school. It's funny. But anyway, moving on. They have one track that's called 18 inches. And if you believe here, but you don't believe here, you're not really saved. What does that mean? If anybody did just a cursory study of the word heart in the Bible, you would find out that it's never referring to the organ that pumps blood. It's always referring to the central seat of your convictions and how you think about things. So that's a problem. How about this one? If you haven't repented of all your sin, notice all your sin, all your sin. Has anybody in here ever repented of all their sin? All of it? It's not even attainable. If you haven't done that, you're not saved. You are really, quote unquote, you don't really, quote unquote, mean business with God to repent of all your sins. You got to mean business. You got to really mean it. How about this one? If you're still desiring the things of the world, you're probably not saved. Another one, you can't go to heaven if you're hanging on to the world. If Christ is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Time out. Do you and I make Christ Lord? No, he is the Lord. You see what I'm saying? This is a clever tactic. Somebody, Satan thought long and hard about this one before he put it out in the churches. If you're practicing sin, you're not saved. If you've grown cold towards the Lord, you were probably never truly saved to begin with. And if you do not endure or persevere as a Christian to the end of your life, you were never a real Christian to begin with because all true Christians endure to the end. I hope that this unsettles you and makes you see that this is fraught with problems. Maybe you're someone that's here today and you say, you know what, my relationship with the Lord is cold today. Let me reassure you, if you've believed in Christ, you're saved. Whatever's going on in your life, that we're in that predicament. Come talk to me. Let's talk it out together. Maybe you don't trust me. That's okay. Maybe trust somebody else here. An elder, a deacon, whoever. Sit down and have that conversation about what's going on. Because I guarantee you'll find that if you're seeking the Lord in this, and if you truly desire to have an on-fire relationship with you, He'll give it. It's not like you're going to say, Lord, I really wish my relationship with you was on fire. And He'd be like, no, I don't think so today. I'm not interested in that. He's always interested in drawing us closer if we're willing to draw close to Him. But this unsettles me to no end. And here's the reason why. Not one of these statements, and even the idea that by being a good person you can earn your way into heaven, none of them are filled with certainty. You can never be certain of your eternal destination if these are the means of getting there. And that's a problem. Now if we go to our Bibles, we're going to start with a great verse. Okay? And I love it. I didn't want to go back to 1 through 3 because I thought, you know what? I hope we know how dirty, nasty people we were before we came to Jesus. That we were helpless and we needed Him uh, so badly. The idea that we just can't save ourselves. Everything that we were doing was absolutely in perfect harmony with Satan because he is the present ruler of this world. And so that's a bad place to be. We can never earn our salvation. But I love the idea of this. But God, and I love it because in my Bible I've done that. A 180 degree turn. I was on a bad direction until God got involved and probably grabbed me by my head first and did this and the rest of my body started to catch up. But putting me in a brand new direction. Notice that he is rich in mercy because this is the reason of his great love. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this verse, but that's actually John 3.16, for God so loved the world. The love is the motivation that propels him forward 
to want to save helpless people of whom he created that he, they cannot save themselves. And so he gets in there and makes the difference. With which he loved us. Everybody see this? What is that? Past tense. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do we deal with hostile people? Usually run the other direction. <laughs> Sign off Facebook quickly. That's what we do today, right? That kind of thing. But we have, we have methods of how we deal with hostile people. And it doesn't always go well. I love that God deals with hostile people by loving us perfectly. That's fantastic. And if that doesn't create an an understanding of humility in our very being, I don't know what will. God loves us when we were the furthest away from Him. That's incredible to me. So notice, even when we were dead spiritually in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. He makes us alive. And then notice, remember we talked about this, Paul can't help himself. He's got to let the cat out of the bag, so here it is. By grace you've been saved. That's how it happened. And he raised us up with him, so that's resurrection. And he seated us with him, that's ascension, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Remember, heaven is another dimension. So we are actually seated there next to Christ now, and the physical us is just going to catch up later at the rapture. Now, why is that? So that, anytime you see so that, more times than not, he's giving you the reason of why would God take grace and not just bring us into relationship in Christ, but raise us and seat us in an ascended form already in heaven with his son. Why would he do that? Why? In the ages to come, future, and I'm just going to go ahead and put this, M-R, it's the millennial reign of Christ. When he comes back to establish his kingdom, again, we are not doing his kingdom work. You're not building the kingdom. You're not furthering the kingdom. You're not expanding the kingdom. We are not doing anything with the kingdom. We are the church. And we are supposed to introduce people to Christ and disciple them so that they will be fully mature. But this kingdom is Christ's kingdom. And when he returns, he will establish it. He will set it into place. He will build it himself. And he will begin his reign at that time. You and I don't have anything to do with it except by being messengers of the gospel with a pure, true gospel. We are actually giving them the opportunity for citizenship in this coming regime. That's where we play and that's it. It's his kingdom. In that time, he might show the surpassing riches of his, what is it? Grace in kindness toward us that is you's and me's that's who that is because we's are in Christ Jesus and so God is going to set us up as trophies of his grace and say look what I can do with depraved hell-bound undeserving ungrateful unloving awful terrible in bondage addicted and messed up people I can take them through my son, change them, renew them, give them spiritual life, God's life actually imparted in us. And I can actually seat them right next to my son and they are perfectly where they should be. Wow. I don't deserve that. Ah, why it's grace. Now, don't miss this connection. 
Paul let the cat out of the bag earlier, but he's got to go back and he's got to deal with it. Okay? Watch this. Notice it's the passing riches of his grace. Okay? And that right there is left side. Verse 7. Okay? Now watch what he does. For, what is that, brainy people? Your causal conjunction. Let me explain why this isn't so, so important is what Paul is saying. Here's the reason. For, by grace, you have been saved. And this word means rescued, delivered. Through, how does it come about? Faith. And that not of yourselves. Not you doing. Okay? It is the gift. It's God's gift. It's not a result of works. Which notice here. Same thing. Not a result of works. Why? So that. Everybody see it? Because if it's part of our doing, we'll brag about it. We'll tell everybody the part that we played of securing our eternity. Paul knows this. We are a braggadocious people. It's Pride Month. I can't think of anything more prideful than people who think they've secured their own salvation. That's the most prideful thing I could possibly think of. Pride is damnable. Understand that. The Bible's clear. There are some major problems when we stray from Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I want to go over some of them with you so that you can see them. If you don't get this down, that's fine. Go back and you can listen to it and all that. I've been told I talk too fast. I don't know who in the world said that. But good grief. Here's a problem. If works are required at any point, this means that justification is not an instantaneous event. In other words, it can't just simply be that you hear that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, and if you respond in belief, you're automatically saved. You have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells. It can't be that if works are supplied. Why is that? Because how can you be sure if your works were enough? Did I do the right things? Did I say the right things? Anybody in here been baptized more than twice? Anybody in here been baptized more than three times? Anybody here been baptized four times? I've been baptized more than all y'all. It still didn't work. No, I'm kidding. But why was that? Well, I'm unsure. Well, I don't know. How many times you walked an aisle? How many times? Well, I'm getting right with the Lord. I mean business with the Lord this time. And there's this whole guilt procedure that happens in our lives sometimes from what we hear or how somebody phrases something, and we can never know if we've done enough. So what is it? The ship is never steady. We never know if we're at the dock or not. We never understand that. Now here's the problem. If justification like that, being declared by righteous, uh, being declared by God as being righteous in His sight, doesn't happen in a moment, that means that Christ wasn't enough. That's scary. Because who declares us or who makes it possible that righteousness would be on our account? Jesus. How does that come to us? He died perfectly and He transfers that to us. By faith, we enter into it. And when God puts on His Jesus-colored glasses, He sees Zach as spotless and righteous in His sight. That's incredible. Did Zach have anything to do with that? No, it was all Jesus. It was all Jesus. Second thing. Grace means a free gift. 
By definition, it cannot require any works. None. You can't do any works for a gift. If you do works for a gift, you just created a business transaction. Isn't that right? An exchange of goods and services? Wow, eternal salvation sounds really great. Here, let me dig in my pocket lint and see if I've got anything to give to you. We're going to get to that in a minute. I actually told my wife, I said, babe, it looks like nobody's safe tomorrow. She's like, is that a good thing? (laughs) We'll see when we get to the end. I don't know. Steak's outside burning already. Anyway, moving on. But think about this for just a second. Christmas is coming up, yes? Got enough time to plan for this, so you can actually do this. Number one, this will be great on your pocketbook, but number two, it'll, it'll be a great illustration for this lesson. Don't get anyone anything. Just a whole bunch of people are going to get you stuff. Does that sound good? Let me be honest. That sounds really good to me, okay? But think about it for just a second. Somebody gives you a gift. How do you handle that? Oh, thank you. And if you feel like you've come up short because they unexpectedly did something nice for you, you start to feel shamed. You start to feel inadequate. You start, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Well, you know, I just I, here's a $100 bill I just happen to have in my pocket or something. You see what I'm saying? We try to make up for it, and that's the way that we treat grace. Somebody came to me one time and they said, hey, I got this project going on. I said, how's life going? Man, I got this project going on. I'm having a lot of problems, you know, completing it. Just, it's, it's, it's so rough. I said, I got a great idea. How about we get some people from the church together? You can tell us what we need to do. We'll come over. We'll help you with the project. We'll get it done quickly. Uh, 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 uh. Why? I know a lot of people would be willing to help. I actually know some people that would specialize in this. It'd be great. Uh, 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 uh. Like, not even full words anymore. Why? Because grace freaks people out. But here's the thing. If the grace of God can't be mistaken as being taken advantage of, then we don't understand grace properly because that's exactly the way that Paul unfolds it in Romans. It's no different here. Grace is a free gift. And gifts are received. Thankfully, absolutely. But don't feel inadequate or shamed by receiving a gift that you never could have compensated to begin with anyway. If Jesus did anything, he saved us from ourselves. That's a gift we could never do. How about this one? Biblically, God's grace is incompatible with our works. It is impossible to be operating in a grace system and a work system and think that they will go together. How do we know this? Romans 11.6. Write it down. It's a fun verse to meditate on. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works does everybody see where's my pen there we go there it is it cannot mix in fact it says otherwise grace is no longer grace when you add works to grace it stops being that it can't bringing our works to the table halts grace That's why even in our Christian lives, our job is not to do. Well, now that I'm saved, I've got to get to busy doing all this stuff. And all these people that are trying to say, well, if you really want to be a righteous and holy Christian in your life, you need to keep the Ten Commandments. Newsflash, you can't keep the Ten Commandments. They're there to accuse us of sin and make us recognize our need for grace. Not to all of a sudden become a launching platform. God, get your hands off this. I got it now. I'm taking the wheel. You can't do that. 
It's impossible. The entire book of Galatians is written to that. I'm astounded that you are falling away, moving away from the grace of God that you had in Christ. And then Paul tells them, if anybody else preaches another gospel to you, let them be damned. He's pretty serious. Why? Because they were trying to take the law and said, you know what, our grace needs a little bit of law. Let's do that. No, you can't do works. And as soon as you bring in works, you no longer have grace. God can no longer get the full credit and glory for a situation like that. It's very dangerous. More major problems when straying from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Faith ceases to be the only means or the channel by which salvation comes to an individual. When we see that you're saved by faith, you need to believe, trust in Christ, those types of things. Right? As many as believed Him, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to be called children of God who believed on His name. John 1.12 He tells us what receiving them is. It's believing in His name. That is the way that salvation comes to you. By faith. That's the channel. That's the means that it gets there. All the work is done by Christ. But all of a sudden, if you've got to come up with something, let me ask you this. If faith is universally espoused in the Bible as the means of receiving eternal life, what would be the universal espoused work that you'd have to bring alongside? I guarantee you, you ask somebody that question who are believers in the church, they're going to give you a myriad of different answers. Well, you've got to be this way. You've got to do this. We've got to treat others as you'd want to be treated. We've got to love people like Jesus. We've got to love neighbor as yourself. Well, you can't steal, you can't cheat, you can't smoke, you can't chew, and you can't go with girls that do. Is that how that works? What is the necessary work that has to come alongside faith? And when you talk to people, why is it different for everybody? Don't we all have the same Bible? It's because we have no business adding something to faith is making this happen. We don't. Number two, sorry, number six actually, five, the ground at the cross is uneven. Haven't you heard that before? The ground at the cross is equal. Everybody can come to the cross. Jesus died for everybody. Well, not according to this. Because if you've got somebody whose works are better than another person's, doesn't that make them more saved than the other person? Well, you don't understand, Jeremy. They just talk so nice. Okay. What do they believe? Does everybody see why that might be a problem? Because here's one thing that we do. We make a huge mistake in our Christian lives. We'll view how somebody else is obeying the Lord, walking in the Spirit, not lording it over anybody, humble attitude, the whole nine yards. And we'll start to take the worst parts of our lives and we'll start to do a comparison and we'll get a little iffy about our own standing with God. Understand, we are not in a race with other Christians. It is the idea of us being Jesus and me together moving towards the same goal of a fruitful eternity. That's what we're moving towards. But if it's an idea where you have these works and you have these works and man, they had those better works. I cannot get over how incredible Zach's works are. That's amazing. I wish I could be a Christian like that. Well, then all of a sudden, if works have a portion of what it is to be accepted by God, that means that Zach is more accepted than I am. If he's more accepted than I am, where does that leave me? And a lot of people conclude hell. That's dangerous. It's scary. How about this? The emphasis ceases to be on the proper focal point of faith that God has put forward at the present time. What is the focal point of our faith? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Period. But if we start bringing works into it, it starts to become about how well I'm doing. How well am I performing? So imagine for a second, because I've actually had this happen before, but I'm not going to take it to the extent that I am with you. 
if I get the opportunity to get up here and play the drums, okay? And I love it. So I'm back there having a good time, right? I'm at one with Ringo Starr in that moment, whatever you want to say, okay? But back there playing, and all of a sudden I flub something and mess up so bad. Do I need to then question my salvation about my poor performance? You see where that could get, though? Now, that's a very blown-up example of an idea, oh, I can't believe that word came out of my mouth. Am I really saved? Oh my gosh, I can't believe that came across my Instagram feed. Am I really saved? And we start to get in our own heads about this entire situation. Why? Because we stopped looking at Jesus. Instead, it's about how well you're doing. Was that, was that a you know, 10.0 or was that a 5.4? Or Start grading people like it's a diving contest. You can't do that in salvation. When it becomes about your performance over the finished work of the Son, you've gotten into a troublesome position. Notice this. This is a great explanation. Because not everybody, uh, not everybody believed the exact same thing that we believe now in this church age dispensation. Abraham did not believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. He didn't even know the name Jesus Christ. That's important. Ryrie explains it this way. The basis of salvation in every age is the death of Christ. Why? Because He died at a moment in time, but isn't Jesus Christ eternal? Hopefully we're not questioning that. Is Jesus Christ eternal? He absolutely is because He's God, which means the effectual nature of His death stretches both in the past and in the future. So it covers both bases. We don't have to worry about that. The requirement, what does God require for salvation in every age is faith. Faith alone. Trust alone. When he put these things in front of Abraham, he didn't say, you better behave. He said, believe me. That's the idea. And Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. The object of faith in every age is God. Always. The gospel really boils down to the idea of, do I believe what God has told me? Every time. Doesn't matter when it occurred. Was God telling the truth or was God lying here? And then we've got to make a choice in relationship to that. But the content of faith changes. Why? Genesis 15, 6. You want to look at it sometime? Actually, it's Genesis 15, 1 through 6, and you can check it out. Abraham is freaked out because he doesn't have an heir of which will become the inheritor of these great promises that God has given. And he's getting kind of old in age, and he says, oh, Eliezer, that bum guy who's my second cousin's third nephew's college roommate's person or whatever. They're going to receive these things. He says, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about that whatsoever. You're actually going to have a child. Go outside, Abram. Look at the stars. Do you see them? Yes, Lord, I see them. Can you number them? No, I can't number them. Your descendants are going to be just like that. What's the next verse? And Abram believed God, and it was counted to him, reckoned to him, accredited to him as righteousness. How did he get righteousness? By believing what God said. So God was the focal point of that. However. Abram did not believe in Jesus Christ. They have inklings of a foretelling of a Savior who is to come, and that is part and parcel of the entire story. Don't get me wrong. But he never placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. He simply believed the promise that God put in front of him. Now we, the reason why the church is so amazing is because the church has been found to be at a point in history where we actually look back upon the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and we hold fast and testify the first Sunday of every month to the fact that He will come again for us. We are in an incredibly privileged position. Abraham would have loved to see this day. 
Abraham would have loved to look back on the death and resurrection of Christ and say, he's coming again. That man would have been on, in fact, he was probably so much to handle that God had him born back then because he would have been just relentlessly on fire at this time and maybe out of control. I don't know. God has a reason and a purpose for that. But we live in such an incredibly privileged age. Why? Because we know the gospel message and we live in light of the hope of his coming. That's huge. So notice, the, the content of faith, it changes at various dispensations. And again, we've got teaching online about dispensations. You can check that out. Now we have even more, major, even more problems when straying from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. There have been some who have said, well, faith is a gift. Look at the verse with me again real quick. Look what it says, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Stop there. It is the gift of God. And so you've got a group of people come along and say, see, you're so dead in your sins, your trespasses, you can't even believe. And so God has to give you faith as His gift to you so that you can believe because apart from that, you cannot believe. Now here's the problem with that. Is that in order for somebody to have that gift of faith according to them, they have to already be born again. So you have people who are born again who are not believers in Jesus. That is not possible. And what's interesting about that is not only citing faith as a gift of God, it makes God out to be a lying, heartless monster. Why is that? Because they say that God doesn't give the gift of faith to everyone. That God chooses to pass over Rhonda? Sorry. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go directly to hell. Are we satisfied with that? No. Didn't Jesus Christ taste death for every man? Is he not the propitiation for our sins? And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Absolutely he is. So we have friction with this just theologically. But it's different. He's actually a benevolent, loving, heavenly father. And grammatically, this is an indefensible thing. So everybody get your pens out. Put on your Mortimer Schnurd caps for just two minutes. And let me show you this, okay? Especially if you have one of our note-taking booklets out there. Notice it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, everybody see the word that? This right here is known as a demonstrative pronoun. And this demonstrative pronoun needs to refer back to something in order to bring greater clarity to that something. Okay? In some of your translations, if you have the ESV version, it's going to say this. Okay? And this not of yourselves. But here's the interesting thing about this. The demonstrative pronoun has to agree in gender with its antecedent. We don't normally operate in a three-gender linguistic system today. We usually do just male and female, and we even have problems getting that one right today, okay? But the Greek actually operates in a male, neuter, and female. Monday Night Football. Just kidding. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody? No? Was that too bad? Okay, just trying to keep you awake. Male, neuter, and female system. That's how Greek operates. Understanding that brings a lot of clarity so that you better understand the language. And what's interesting about this is that that is in the neuter gender. It has to agree with whatever it's referring back to. And so if we were to do a simple look, we would actually find out that faith is feminine. And grace is feminine, so therefore the demonstrative pronoun does not agree. These two 
are not, cannot, linguistically whatsoever be the antecedents that this demonstrative pronoun is going back to. So the question is, is what in the world does it mean? Well, the interesting thing about a demonstrative pronoun is it cannot just refer also gender-wise back to particular words that would be used, but it can also grasp concepts. What is the concept in the immediate context of this verse? It is by grace, through faith, salvation. So what it's saying is the gift of God is actually that He even made salvation available to anyone. And He did it by His grace. Remember, grace is the idea of condescending down to people who don't deserve it. And He made the means of which that salvation would be attainable for people through personal faith in Jesus Christ. The gift of God is the fact that He made salvation available. Not that He gives you faith so that you can believe, or that you can believe, and He chooses to pass over you so that you will go to hell and nothing of your own. That's frightening. But grammatically, if we look at this, we find out, nope, this doesn't qualify, and this doesn't qualify, so what is it? It's actually a conceptual antecedent that's referring back to. Now, take our Mortimer Schnurd caps off and put those down, and let's move on. And give you another one. Here we go. This is what's known as a chiasm in Scripture. Chiasms are everywhere. If you participate in a hermeneutics class, you know this. If you've been hanging out in Final Destiny class, you'll be aware of this. But what a chiasm is, is sometimes the authors of Scripture will be going through and writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they'll find something in particular that they want to emphasize for their readers to pick up on. And so they're going to set up a structure, and they're going to have some parallels that happen outside, one at the top and one at the bottom, and verse-wise, they're going to work their way in in some way till it hits one main idea. And so notice here, for by grace you've been saved through faith, this is A, and that left side's going to get me, I'm sure. Watch it work this time. And it, and it corresponds with this down here. Why? So that no one may boast. Why? Because it's by grace through faith. So there's no boasting there. Why? Because faith has no merit. Faith is simply responding to the message that you've been receiving. There's no merit or work in that of which you would be saved for it. So notice these two correspond with one another because they're perfect opposites. Notice, not of yourselves. Why? Because it's not a result of works, and that's what this means. Those two going together. Not of ourselves. How would it be of yourselves? The only thing we can do is work. That's all that we try to do in order to gain salvation. Well, notice, it's got nothing to do with you. It's actually graciously given to you in spite of what you've done. So these two work together in that way. What is Paul's emphasis in this structure of how he wanted to place this part? He wants us to understand, and because that's italics, it's not the original, it's just there to help you, but he wants you to understand the idea of that it is a gift. You know the amazing thing about a gift is you're not obligated to return it. You're not obligated to pay for it. You're not obligated to do anything to be deserving of it. A gift is given despite what I deserve. Praise God. Why? Because God demonstrates His love. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everybody see how it all works together? Aren't you glad you came to church? Yeah, you guys are going to be playing Jeopardy in no time. It's great. Now watch this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not a result of works, so that these are more problems when we don't get Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 right. And these are dire. <clears throat> and even more major problems with this. The first one is, is the idea that works allow for boasting and bragging. I've told you this story before. I'm going to tell it again. I asked a lady one time, 
how do you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? She said, that's easy. I taught Sunday school for 12 years. What's the focus of her reason? Her. Her works. Now, raise your hand if you think she was a perfect Sunday school teacher for 12 years. If she got everything doctrinally and theologically correct from the Scriptures for 12 years. Anybody? And you know that if she worked with like three and four years old, it all went downhill quick, okay? You just know. You know it wasn't a perfect endeavor that took place. I even pressed her a little bit more on this question. And it was all, I said, well, what about Jesus you know, in, in this whole thing? Yeah, yeah, he's, he was there too. It was almost like he's an afterthought to the whole idea of what it is to be accepted by God. There is no other way to be accepted by God except through His Son. John 14.6 is not a narrow-minded approach from a male chauvinist who decided to sit down and write in his own context to oppress certain people. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Well, that's so narrow-minded. How come He only gave us one way? Good googly moogly. He gave us a way. What other way did we have? And everybody starts pulling the pocket lint out of their pockets. Because without Jesus, we have nothing. We have nothing. How about this? Any focal point of faith other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified renders the person as still unsaved. Let's be very clear. If someone comes in contact with the Gospel message, and this is the reason why we covered how to present the Gospel last week, because it keeps Jesus Christ as the focus, the focal point of faith. If we're trusting in anything else but Jesus, and if we're trusting in anything in addition to Jesus, that person is not saved. That's a terrible tragedy. To think that somebody actually mustered up the courage finally and was answering the call of the Holy Spirit to do that, and they flubbed the Gospel in some way and got it wrong. Does that happen to all of us? Yes. Can God use our imperfections in order to bring greater things about? Yes. But if it's something where they're thinking about having to add something onto it, it's not going to work. Here's the last one. We are not co-redeemers with Jesus. When He died, He died perfectly. He didn't need me to die on top of Him, beside Him, with Him, to the side of Him, behind Him, any of that. I cannot pay for my sins. So I redeem nothing. Some of you from a Catholic background are snickering a little bit. You get it. It's okay. Here's a problem we run into. The pendulum swings of false salvation. These are two good ways to remember this. The first one is called the front-loading of the Gospel. It's the idea that when you have the opportunity to share the Gospel with somebody, you didn't make it about faith alone. You made it about faith and something that they need to do. And God was not going to accept them unless faith and happened. Let me give you three examples. The first one is our friends, the Lutherans. Okay? Why is that? If you're Lutheran and I'm stepping on your toes, I'm sorry, your church taught you wrong, your denomination is wrong, and only Jesus' Bible is correct. That's just where it stands. So let's be flat out honest. I say that in love. I'm not trying to say that as a jerk or be haughty, but there's been enough of this nonsense about getting the gospel message wrong. Enough of it. Their idea is, well, in order for you to truly be saved or for your salvation to take, for it to be real, for you to be in business with God, is the idea that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Recognize this. That's you performing a work that they're saying is required for God's acceptance that is other than Jesus on the cross. 
So why not get baptized a million times if you don't need Jesus at all? Makes no sense. Now how about this? The Catholic Church. They front load the Gospel. Why? The seven sacraments? If you don't keep those things up, you're in trouble. Try not going to confession one time. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Number one, that dude ain't your father. Stop calling him that. In fact, we're told we're not to call any man father except he who is in heaven. So let's get that straight. They are standing in the place of God doing so wrongly. And we have enough abuse that's been coming out about this church for so long to recognize exactly what type of organization it is at the higher elite levels. Forsake all that garbage and burn it. It's done. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is actually stated as a front to the gospel. The Pope isn't a special person. His head's just cold. That's why he wears that, okay? That's just a simple fact. He's not. There's nothing special about him. There's not. He's a sinner just like me. And he needs Jesus alone just like me. But if you fail in upkeeping one of these check posts in order to get where you need to be, you're never confident of your salvation. And then what do they do in order to get you back good with God? They give you stuff to do. Hail Mary, Hail Mary. I don't find Hail Mary one time in my Old or New Testament. It doesn't occur one time. So why do they do that? Because it's a religious system. It is a religious system. And anytime that you see the word religion, you think, does anybody remember from last week? Works. It's always salvation by works. These are the things that you have to do in order for God to accept you. It doesn't work. My favorite bunch is the Reformed Calvinist crowd. And the reason is because if you're not willing to submit everything in your life to Jesus at that moment of salvation, you are not saved. This is also what's commonly called lordship salvation. If you're not willing to give your all for Him at that moment, then you must not really mean it and therefore God will not accept you. Salvation is not about what we give. It's about what Jesus gave for us. Understand that. Keep grace grace. Another form of it is backloading the gospel. Here's what backloading the gospel is. is We'll tell you, yes, you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. It's only God's grace that made the gospel available. But now that you're in, we better see some stuff. We better see that you really meant it, that it really took, that the Holy Spirit's really with you. And so now it becomes everybody kind of sitting there with their clipboards taking notes about your spiritual progress. The Pentecostals. Not all of them. I love Pentecostals. Please understand, I love all these people. But understand, if we're getting the gospel wrong, we're getting the gospel wrong. If the idea is, is you need a second blessing in order to be saved, I don't see that in the Scriptures. I see faith alone. I see Jesus is enough. I see that Jesus paid it all. And all to Him I owe, yeah, in my life, but not in order to be accepted by God. It's all His anyway. So this idea that we're going to put some sort of stipulations or I need to see you speak in tongues or it's not true, that's dangerous. Now charismatics. I love charismatics. Let me, let me say what I mean by charismatics. The whole, you can hold the snake and drink the poison and nothing's going to happen to you kind of thing. And then Earl falls over dead and you wonder what went on. Well, he wasn't really saved. No. Yeah, poison and snake bit him. That's what happened. <clears throat> Those are not litmus tests for validating a salvation. It's not. Because again, performance, 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 and we better see results so we can let you know whether you're in or whether you're not in. That can get to such extremes that it actually qualifies as spiritual abuse. That's painful. And how about this? Any legalism. Well, if they were truly saved, they would fill in the blank. I'm sure we're all guilty of saying it at some point. 
I'm sure we're all guilty of saying it. Let's, let's go ahead and talk about it because it is the elephant outside of these walls, but I'm sure it is here too. We're in the midst of what the world has called Pride Month. Thank you for at least showing your card, Satan. We're so thankful for that. Okay? Did Jesus Christ die for homosexuals and lesbians? Absolutely He did. He tasted death for every sin that they would commit and mine. I think that's important to understand. That's very important to understand. There's not one person that is alienated from being able to accept the Gospel because of their behavior or anything that they have done. Jesus Christ can reach any of them. And this should not keep the church, us, you, me, we, the whole deal, from sharing Jesus with them. Are you judging me? No, not at all. I'm actually trying to offer you eternal life so that you avoid judgment. I'm actually trying to show you a great way out. If we tell them they have to clean up their act in order for God to save them, fantastic, you've just become a front loader of the gospel. If we told them that if in order to prove that they're really saved or that the Holy Spirit really dwells there or that it really took, they better be cleaning up their act soon afterwards or we're going to have to go in there and share the gospel with them all over again. No. You've just backloaded the gospel. One of the greatest failures in needing to backload the gospel is because it's a substitution because nobody stopped and took the time to meet with a person regularly and disciple them in the Word of God. What's the two things of the church? Evangelism, discipleship. That's all we're supposed to be doing. So if we were doing our job, we would find a lot less problems. My favorite preacher ever, Earl Rodmacher, said it this way. If we could just get the saved saved, we'd have a lot less problems getting the lost saved. That's the way that works. So if we would just be about our business and not get sidetracked by anything else, evangelism, discipleship, evangelism, discipleship, and just loving people to life in Christ, that's all that we're supposed to be doing. We would find that a lot of these other things would clear themselves up really quickly. We don't have to be sitting here waiting for pet sins. Well, you're doing this. That's wrong. You're doing this. That's bad. Like we're some, I don't want to say it, running around with the ruler cracking knuckles. You guys get the picture. Blues Brothers. Anyway, moving on. That's not us. What are we to do? We're to talk to them about the love of Christ. We're to talk about them about the seriousness of sin. Don't ever back away from that. Sin is dangerous. It separates us from our Creator. But recognize the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work of reforming the person into the image of Christ. That's not our job. It's not our job. I thought this was interesting. D.L. Moody. I love this guy. They actually have a book that they put out. Notes that were in his personal Bible. Here's what he said about this verse. Works may be good crutches to go upon, but they are bad Christs to lean upon. Works magnify man. Grace magnifies God. We had better let works go and build alone upon free grace. Good works may be our Jacob's staff to walk with on earth, but they never can be our Jacob's ladder to climb up into heaven. That's the distinguishment there. It's the idea of letting grace be grace because as soon as we infringe upon grace, it stops being grace and grace cannot do the work it needs to do. This is why it has to be about His grace first, making salvation available, calling for people to respond in faith, and then letting the Spirit do His work. That's it. I felt this was a helpful thought to end on. Because this delineates between people that are getting it wrong and people that are getting it right. Maybe this helps. This is from Jeremiah 9. Thus says Yahweh, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might. 
Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares Yahweh. The only bragging that we bring is the bragging of the cross of Christ is the bragging in a sufficient Jesus, is the bragging in an all-loving God, is bragging in the heart of God that desires for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 4-6 through tells us this. And what's great is since we are His body, that means that He is the head, but we get the grand opportunity of being the hands and the feet of bringing a clear gospel to a dying people. Let's boast in our privilege of serving That's where the boast should be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You so much for securing the means by which every single person can be accepted before God. If we are here today and we know Jesus is our personal Savior, we are most blessed. But if we are here and we do not know Jesus, Today is the day. If we cannot confidently say that we have an assured relationship with the Son of God that guarantees heaven is a definite destination, today is the day. It comes one way and one way only. Jesus has died for our sins and risen from the grave. And it is by faith alone in Him that we are accepted before God. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not crazy. But it does require recognition of the fact that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And that Jesus Christ is the Savior that God has provided. So Lord, I pray if we've maybe looked back on some issues and we cringe about how we might have gotten the Gospel wrong. Understand that's covered by the blood. Please grant us another opportunity to be clear, to be bold, to be loving to take Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and hold fast to it and not allow for anything, whether at the beginning or in the end of it, to creep in and corrode it. We thank You, God, that You've given us opportunities to be lights and salt on this earth, to be Your hands and Your feet that reach people, love people, and that through us You desire to dispense the message of reconciliation. Father, help us to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading that we would beg people, be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God because Christ has made it possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.